You're listening to audio from Cobblestone Community Church in Oxford, Ohio. At our recent Converge workshop, we focused on how to be taught by the Word and led by the Spirit of God, focusing specifically on hearing God and prophetic words. In this session one, we will talk about why does God speak, who does He speak to, and how. Enjoy. This is Michael Miller. If you don't know, I stole this off the internet. That's the picture, right? And so I'm going to invite him up, let him do his own introductions, uh, and explain where he comes from because we already wrote it all. And without that, let's just, here's Michael Miller. Yep. So I'll give you just a, a little bit of a background on my sub before I dive into some of the content. Um, so I grew up in a non-Christian home, uh, Jewish mother, Mormon father. Uh, needless to say, things were very confusing growing up. Um, we actually went to the Mormon church until I was about seven years old. My parents divorced when I was about a year old, mom and dad. Last time, I, my dad sort of abandoned family around year four, married another woman who had six kids. Um, so grew up, I mean, pretty broken home, and then came to Christ when I was 15. Somebody gave me a Bible. I never read a Bible. I didn't know what was in a Bible. I literally thought it was a book of ancient spells. And, and so I was like, oh, this is, this is cool, like, you know, mystic wisdom. And so I, I would get it out, and I'd start reading. Um, now, this was one of the Bibles that just had the Psalms, Proverbs, and the New Testament. And so I didn't even know there was an Old Testament. Like I said, I'm completely green. And so I'm reading this, and I'm reading. I would memorize the Psalms because I thought, well, girls will find that very attractive. <laughs> it worked, you know, it benefited me in other ways. <laughs> uh, it didn't get me a girlfriend, but it was still helpful. Um, and then I would read the New Testament, and I would read uh, Matthew. And I, I was just pretty uh, enthralled with what I was reading. Um, I was like, this, this is real. Like, this guy did these miraculous works. Nobody ever showed me that stuff. Nobody ever talked about that. Um, and so I used to lie to my mom, and on Saturday nights, I would crash at my buddy's house because I knew that that family went to church on Sunday mornings, and I just wanted to learn more. And so um, I finally kind of came out of the closet as a Christian when I was a senior in high school and then uh, was heavily involved in an organization called Young Life. Any of you familiar with that? Um, great organization, uh, especially if you you know, grow up in a pagan home and you have no idea who Jesus is. Fantastic ministry to be involved in. Uh, and then got heavily plugged in with a church um, after college. Well, I went on staff with Young Life for a couple years and then got plugged in with um, a guy who became my mentor for about six, seven years and still a very good friend to this day. Uh, many of you probably know who he is. His name's Jack Deer. He wrote a book called Surprised by the Power of the Holy Spirit. And so when I got into the, the gifts of the Spirit, um, I had a lot of apprehensions uh, because of what I had seen on TV. Now, I had been taught that God wasn't healing today. And then when I would start reading the scriptures, I, I found some things in there that were kind of challenging my presuppositions when it came to the gifts of the Spirit. And um, Jack Deere's book was super helpful for me. Um, I was like, this guy can actually speak my language. When I would visit the Pentecostal churches, there was always some sort of weird packaging that came with it. You know, the preacher would always add an extra syllable to every word that wasn't there. You know, and uh, Jesus, ah, he went up to that mountain, ah. And there's a whole lot of, like, flair that went with it. And I'm not a flair guy. I'm, you know, I mean, maybe you could consider the mustache a little flair, but that, that's about as far as I go. So anyway, um, his book was super helpful for me. Um, he was heavily theological. I knew that he was biblically serious. And uh, yet he also had stories of the supernatural. And those stories, for me, were fantastic. 
Um, I needed somebody with the biblical background, the theological uh, underpinning, um, but then also had the practical experience of the Spirit. And so that sort of set me on a trajectory. I had no idea that that relationship would quite literally set me on the trajectory of my life. To sort of find this middle of the road um, uh, group of people. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I've always felt a little bit tribeless uh, in the sense that I believed that God was still speaking. I believed that God was healing the sick today and that the miraculous was still happening. And that should be normative, uh, not like every day, but normative for the Christian experience, especially when it comes to breakthrough evangelism, you know, going into new territories where the gospel has not been made known. You know, God is, is very kind and generous to give us displays of power to show that he really is sovereign over all things. And so, um, but finding that, that, that way of doing things, the, the spirit-empowered life, um, but also not neglecting the scriptures, not neglecting the basic disciplines of the faith, um, you know, I, I knew that those things were also beneficial. And, and to find a place where those two things could be both true and beneficial and, and, and equally valued was, was a rare thing, and Jack really helped with that. Um, and uh, th there's a whole lot of history in here, and a lot of you, if you watch the, the Remnant Radio, I share a lot of my story on there, so I'm not going to go into much depth there. But uh, in 2019, I started co-hosting a, a podcast that has, in the last two and a half years, really uh, become well-circulated. And uh, with that has come opportunities to teach on this stuff a lot more, super thankful for, for where that is. And then in 2020, I moved back to Denver, Colorado with my, my wife and two kids, and we planted a church. It is called Reclamation. Um, and it's sort of this idea that we're trying to, to reclaim the very basics of the faith. We're not trying to do some, something you know, novel or new. We just want to teach the doctrines, pass down what's been entrusted to us, and fulfill the Great Commission and the Great Commandments. Um, and just to do that faithfully. I think in today's culture, we're, we're constantly obsessed with the new and the novel, and um, we have, have kind of wanted to go against that, that tide and just say, no, no, what's always been has been really good, and we want to continue to promote that same gospel that Jesus uh, passed down to his disciples. And, and we also want to be spirit-led and you know, have the gifts be normative, um, but not crazy, right? So that, that kind of gets us to the content today. Um, I mentioned a little bit about my upbringing, um, you know, dad abandoning the family at age four, um, went through a considerable amount of counseling and, and work to kind of get free of my own rejection and abandonment issues, and, and through that went through a process of, of really having to learn how to change the way we think about things, and that was sort of the impetus behind this little journal. Uh, it's called the Overcomers Journal, and we have a bunch of them out there for sale. They're $20 a piece, um, and uh, you can get more on that. I'm not going to go into any, any length on this, but we also did a teaching on the Remnant Radio called Tearing Down Strongholds, uh, which sort of explains what this is all about. Um, you know, so there's some, some demons we get rid of by casting them out, and some we really can't get rid of until we change the way we think. Uh, and that's, you know, another word for it in Christian faith is called discipleship. Um, and so this was a, a journal, a guided journal that sort of helped, uh, well, I would say, through journaling, counseling, all of those things, it sort of helped me change the way I thought. And we have a leg up over the counseling community in that we have something to ground our truth in, which is the scriptures. Um, so for me, one of the things that I needed to know was that I was worth knowing and loving. Um, because I didn't believe that at the core of who I was, because my dad sent me the opposite message by abandoning the family. 
And so um, anyway, you can check that out and we can talk about that offline. Um, so today we're here to talk about prophecy and hearing God. Um, so let me start with just a, a preliminary definition of uh, what prophecy is and, and why it's so important. Sound good? And I, you kind of gave us the preface on, on how the things will lay out. I need to, to kind of, I have an hour, okay. So I'm going to try to teach for like maybe 30, 40 minutes. Um, and do, are we doing Q&A during this as well, each session? Okay, I'm going to teach for 30 minutes and do some Q&A. Um, so when we, we use the word prophecy, here's what I mean by that, okay? It just simply means hearing God on behalf of one another. Now, my first experience with this stuff, um, you've you got to understand, as a young life guy, a good Bible-believing guy, very serious about theology, you know, I was, I was reading apologetics and going to apologetic conferences when I was in high school, right after I came to the faith, because again, my family, they weren't believers, and so I was constantly vigilant, and honestly, on the defense about my faith, um, and so then when it came to embracing the idea that God was speaking, that God was healing, um, uh, that was really a, a difficult thing for me. And so I, I was trying to sort of explore the space on this, but again, I couldn't handle the Pentecostal package. Um, also, having dealt with the abandonment issues and, and all that comes with that, there was a lot that God had to do to sort of um, reshape my heart and restore me and uh, restore my identity in Him. And so... Um, senior year in college, I remember going to uh, a Young Life camp. I'd just taken uh, 30 kids out there. I think we had like 15 kids give their lives to Jesus. Just amazing. Uh, came back from the camp, and we did two weeks of devotionals together where I was basically teaching them, what does it mean now that you've given your life to Christ? What does it look to like to walk with him? And so back then, we would have uh, a little thing, a booklet that we would give them called My First 20 Quiet Times, which I don't think anybody calls it quiet time today, do we? That's such like an early, you know, late 90s fad. Uh, we we got to have my quiet time. Now we call them devotionals or I don't know if we even say those kind of things. You just need to spend time with the Lord, right? Um, so anyway, I, I would walk these kids through uh, their first 20 quiet times. And so we would do that at a coffee shop together. Now, up in, uh, at this exact time, I, this was my, I just graduated from Texas A&M University. Um, I was sort of dating a girl and she was really giving me the runaround. You know, it was like, one day she liked me, the next day she didn't. And so if you struggle with abandonment issues, that's a problem. <laughs> my self-worth was like rising and falling on a daily basis and, you know, really high highs, really low lows, and uh, really not a, a stable way to, to do a relationship. Uh, the Lord has, has helped me out with that a lot since then. But uh, in the midst of one of the lows where I'm feeling like she doesn't like me, I, I'm sort of wallowing in self-pity. And I remember reading in my Bible where it said that David ministered to the Lord. And so in the midst of my self-pity, I sort of haphazardly asked God, uh, God, uh, do I minister to you? Do I even make you happy? You can hear the self-pity in that <laughs> conversation. <laughs> Which, I mean, how many of us do this? You know, when we're feeling really low, we say sort of stupid things to God, not really expecting anything to come from it, um, and, and you just kind of move on. So fast forward, uh, I'm at the coffee shop with all my Young Life kids. Uh, we've just spent time with the Lord. They all leave, and I'm now preparing for the next day's lesson. And, and we did this every day for, for about three weeks. 
And uh, next to me, now, meanwhile, I'm, I'm sort of investigating the gifts of the Spirit. I, I've, I've come to the conclusion already that God is still speaking today, uh, both predominantly in the Scriptures, but He'll also speak outside of the Scriptures, um, in which we, we can get into that theological conversation if you'd like to as well. But um, I'd come to the conclusion that He, he, he is speaking today. Uh, but I had no idea how it looked like. Um, I also had come to the conclusion that God was healing today, but I had no idea what it looked like. And so I overhear these two guys at the, at the coffee table next to me talking about prophecy. And so I get up and I walk over to them and I said, excuse me, um, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, although I clearly meant to interrupt them. Uh, it's like, why do you say that? We say things like that, you know, it's like silly. Or like when, we, when we're praying and say, God, I just pray that. Like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you're telling God what you're doing as you're doing it. Um, anyway, I, I said to him, I don't mean to interrupt you, uh, but I overheard you using the word prophecy. Can you please tell me what you mean by that? Uh, are you talking about prophecies that are fulfilled in Jesus, by, you know, that, that were spoken of Jesus in the Old Testament and fulfilled by him in the New Testament? Or are you talking about the gift of prophecy? And the guy was like, well, actually, I'm talking about the gift of prophecy. I was like, really? Can you tell me more about this? Well, it turns out he worked for uh, navigators, or I guess he, he used to work for navigators, and I, I loved the navigators. I was, you know, for, to me, the navigators held a great deal of respect in my mind because when I was a high school young life guy, uh, I was mentored by my young life leader, and we would go through the topical memory system that the navigators put out to memorize scripture. You know, I'd moved on from the Psalms and trying to impress girls at this point in time. Uh, and so anyway, I, I was like... I. I'd love to meet with you and talk with you more about this. So he invites me over to dinner with his family. Uh, pretty normal. You know, and, and that was helpful to me because, again, when I would see that Pentecostal package, uh, when I would see the package that I saw on TV, uh, that was off-putting to me. I thought, these guys have another agenda. They're in it for money. You know, they're going to try to swindle you somehow. They're a bunch of hucksters. And so to, see, to hear and meet with somebody who was an, somebody I trusted, you know, doctrinally there with me, they would memorize scriptures, so they were clearly into the disciplines of the faith. They worked for the navigators, so they were clearly evangelical. And so, uh, and then to have just a normal meal where I got to see him interact with his wife and with his kids, that was all helpful to me. Um, I'm like, okay, this is somebody that's like me. Uh, and, until the end of the evening when I was like, okay, this is not someone like me. Uh, <laughs> when he, he was, but he just, this, what happened when next would sort of throw me off. Um, and it would throw me off in a really good way. So they said, hey, we'd like to pray for you afterwards. I said, okay, cool. So he and his wife, we pray. And he said, Michael, when I was praying for you, or the wife said this, Michael, when I was praying for you, I had a vision. I thought, oh, no. Here it goes. <laughs> she goes, I saw a picture of you, and you were wearing the robe of the high priest. She goes, I have no idea what it means, though. And I'm thinking, lady, I have no idea what it means either. <laughs> like, you're crazy. Um, never eat dinner with crazy. Uh, <laughs> no laughing, Sean. You're going to make me laugh. Um, it's in, so then the husband, <coughs> sorry, he goes, oh, I know what it means. And I'm thinking, of course you know what it means. You know? <laughs> and he goes, Michael, the, the high priest is the one uh, who would offer the sacrifices to God. He would minister to the Lord. Uh, Michael, God wants you to know that you minister to him. Okay, you remember what I had prayed three weeks prior or four weeks prior? God, do I even minister to you? Now, I didn't know this couple. And in my, my 
evangelical Bible church days, I was, you know, feelings were bad. <laughs> and so I was doing everything I could to shut down any emotional response in me and just give that stoic, cold face. And so I'm, I'm putting on the show of, of, you didn't affect me, that meant nothing to me. Inwardly, I'm bursting. Inwardly, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to fight off the tears that were coming because I knew that God had heard my prayers. So question for you. Uh, how many of you, what, what would be the impact if you knew that God had heard your prayers and then gave you the answer to your question? How, how do you think that might affect you? How many of you would pray more if you knew that God heard your prayers? Um, so this, this fits in with what it says in the scripture. In 1 Corinthians 14, 3, uh, Paul will say, Desire earnestly spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For the one who prophesies speaks to men for their edification, exhortation, and consolation. Now think about that. Edify, edification, that means to build faith. Uh, encouragement, we don't need, or exhort means encouragement. And then uh, um, consolation means comfort. How many of you might pray more if you knew God heard your prayers? So was I edified in that moment? Was I comforted? I mean, all of those things happened in that one moment. Uh, John, you asked the, where are you? You asked the question about sanctification. Um, do you think having something like that might sanctify you in that moment? What's, what's the result going to be? Well, you're certainly going to pray a lot more afterwards because you know that God hears your prayers. Now, just, just a question. Who wouldn't want that in their church? How many of you have found yourself at a crossroads going, God, do you even hear me? Fast forward two months later, I'm now in Dallas, Texas. I've taken a job full-time with Young Life. Uh, I'm now convinced that God is speaking outside of the Bible, um, obviously never in contradiction to the Bible. Um, and, I, and I see, I'm driving down a road, and I see on the kiosk of a church uh, the words, um, prophecy, every third Sunday of the month. I thought, well, this is a novel idea. They've got God on the books. So I, I, I show up on the third Sunday of the month, and I'm going to sign up to go get prophesied over. And uh, now, now, you need to know, again, I had gotten to this point. <laughs> this, is, this is a problem when you have abandonment issues. Uh, it's really never, never enough at the end of the day. But uh, I had been praying something every day for about a month. And at the end of the month, I'm getting frustrated and impatient. And I remember feeling like my prayers were sort of hitting the ceiling and falling back down on me. Ever, you ever felt that way? And so I, I sort of cry out to God and I say, hey, do you hear me? I've been praying this every day. Well, I show up to the prophecy meeting, third Sunday of the month. And the first thing that the guy says to me is, Michael, God knows. And then he quotes the prayer that I had made in secret word for word. He had no idea what he was saying to me. Again, I, I've got that cold, stoic faith, or face because feelings are bad, uh, and I'm a man, and, and we don't have emotions. Uh, and, and, but inwardly, I'm just bursting again. Now, what do you think that would do for your community when it comes to their awareness of God's presence in their lives if they knew that God heard their prayers? Again, do you think you might pray more? One of the hardest things uh, for a church to do is get people to show up to a prayer meeting. 
Any of you experienced that, pastors in the room? How many of you know that that's a hard thing to do? Or just to get your people praying in general, even though you know that it's one of the most effective things you can do is be someone who prays. Um, I, I tell you, one of the most motivating factors to get people to pray is stories like that. And, and experiences where people know that, that God has actually heard their prayer. Um, another reason why we want, might want prophecy. Actually, let me just stop here for a second. I'll do a little survey. By a show of hands, I want you to answer this question. What do you think the most common gift of God in the church today is? Raise your hand if you'd say miracle working. Things like, you know, calming the storm, water into wine, multiplication of fish and loaves. Okay, I did ask you a question. Nobody's going to answer that one? Raise your hand if you think miracle working. Okay. Okay, not miracle working, obviously. Uh, raise your hand if you'd say it's the gift of healing. Okay. Raise your hand if you'd say the gift of tongues. Okay, I got a Pentecostal brother in the room. Hey, uh, and, uh, tongues, uh. Um, Raise your hand if you say prophecy. A couple, a couple people in the room. Raise your hand if you say gift of teaching. Okay, oh man, these are my evangelical brothers in the room. All right, let's talk about it in the scriptures. What did the scriptures say should be the most common gift in the church? Joel chapter 2, outpouring of the Spirit. In that day I'll pour forth my spirit. Your sons and daughters will speak in tongues. Does it say that? Sorry, Pentecostals. Your old men will become teachers. Doesn't say that either. It says your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. What is the expectation of this culmination, this day that God pour for, pours forth his spirit, what should you expect to suddenly become prevalent and common? Matter of fact, if you do a survey of the Old Testament about which gift of the spirit is supposed to be the, the expectation of the coming day, of the day of the Lord, uh, you won't find the gift of teaching in there. You won't find the gift of tongues. You will find prophecy. Now, three times in Corinthians, Paul will say, does, now, now, Corinthians is the book where, where Paul's going to bring a lot of correction to the church, right? He's going to say, hey, look, you're not lacking in any gifts of the Spirit, but you're immature, right? So they had all the gifts present, but the problem is how they used them wasn't always helpful, which also tells you gifts can be misused. Hey, I would say gifts can be abused. Anything powerful can be abused. Um, he says, yeah, you, you're not lacking in any of the gifts, but you're still immature, and you know what he doesn't do is say, because you're so immature, I'd prefer that you just not use the gifts at all. Doesn't say that, does it? Matter of fact, three times he will ad admonish the church, desire earnestly spiritual gifts. It's the same word used for lust after. It's the only thing in Scripture we're told it's okay to lust after, spiritual gifts. Now, two out of those three times, he's going to encourage them to do, pursue one gift above all the others, especially that you may prophesy. You know what uh, the Lord has to say about teaching? James, 
Let not many of you become. But yet, you in the room, most of you, raised your hand. When I asked you, what is the most common gift in the church? You raised your hand and said, teaching. Which tells you that somewhere we've kind of gotten it off. Teaching has been elevated above all the other gifts. Now, does that mean we should throw teaching out to correct? No. No, teaching is absolutely valuable. Matter of fact, when it comes to anybody who's going to be an elder, we're told that they must be able to teach the doctrines of the faith. So clearly, God, Paul, uh, all of the apostles, they value teaching. But uh, they also tell us that the thing that should be the most normative is prophecy. And I'm not sure exactly where prophecy in history got sort of diminished and pushed to the side. Um, but it does seem like the gift that's supposed to be the most normative is prophecy. And, and, and again, this is why. Because it edifies the church. It builds their faith. It encourages those who need courage to overcome great difficulty. And it comforts those who have been in great deals of pain. It's called a manifestation of the Spirit. You want to know what it looks like when the Spirit manifests himself, when he makes himself known to a group of people? He comforts, right? He's called the comforter. It would make sense that one of the effects of prophecy is that the church is comforted in the midst of their pain. So why else does he encourage the gift of prophecy? Um, 1 Corinthians 14, 24. Paul is going to bring some correction when it comes to the gift of tongues. He's going to say, hey, listen, you need to have interpretation, especially when the church is gathering. Otherwise, people are going to think you're crazy, right? And then he says, but here's what you should do. 1 Corinthians 14, 24 through 25. He says, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or somebody unfamiliar with gifts enters the room, he is convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. What does prophecy do when it comes to evangelism? How many of you want to see people come into the faith? I remember uh, there was a young guy who used to come to, to my church. He was not a believer. Uh, I, I think he thought he was a believer, but he wasn't. Um, and we went on a, a ski trip, and there's a young guy named Alex who, who uh, dislocated his shoulder on the slopes the first day. Now, imagine you've spent six, $700 to go on a ski trip with a church, and you dislocate your shoulder on the first day on the slopes. What, what's going to happen to the rest of those days of skiing that you were supposed to do? It's just money down a toilet, right? And so as, this is what happened to Alex. First day on the slopes, no more than a few hours, he dislocates his shoulder. And so I show up to his hotel room the following morning and said, hey, Alex, I'd love to pray for you. He goes, oh, okay, cool. And I was like, okay. And he's like, oh, you mean now? I'm like, well, yeah, of course. That's kind of how this works. Uh, most people today, when you say, I'd like to pray for you, they're like, oh, cool, thanks. Because uh, they assume that you mean you're going to do that on your own. They don't, they don't think it means, hey, I'm going to put my hand on the area of pain and pray for you um, right there. So he, he lets us come into the room. And uh, I said, all right, real simple. I'm just going to put my hand on your shoulder. Uh, I'm not going to press down on it and do anything weird. And I'm going to pray. And he's like, okay. So I prayed a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, would you uh, refasten the shoulder? Uh, would you let everything come back into place and all the pain leave, all inflammation go, um, strengthen his shoulder? I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. I said, all right, Alex, well, why don't you check it out? We just prayed. He goes, well, I can't really move it. 
I said, yeah, but we just prayed. Why don't you just see if you can do anything? And he's like, well, listen, I can't, I can't move this. You don't understand. I couldn't do that this morning. I go, no, I understand. He goes, no, no, you guys don't get it. I could not move my arm. I said, buddy, I get it. We prayed. Jesus just healed your shoulder. He goes, yeah. I go, would you like to give your life to the one who healed your shoulder? And he says, yes. I said, um, if you'd like, you can repeat after me and, and pray a prayer. You can pray it in your own words. He's like, I'd like to pray it in my own words. And so I, I explained the gospel, and he had heard the gospel multiple times. He'd heard it on that trip. And so he, uh, I pray, and then he prays, and he says, uh, Lord, um, you've been trying to get my attention my whole life, and I've been ignoring you, and this is something I can no longer ignore. I want to give my life to you. And just in tears, I mean, he's making all of us cry, and, uh, and he gives his life to the Lord. Well, there was this other kid in the, in, in the meeting that night, the one who had been coming to my church, wasn't a believer, he, wa- he, he watches all of this happen with Alex and still does not give his life to the Lord. Fast forward six months later, I walk into the church and I see th- uh, this guy, we'll call him Andrew. Uh, I see Andrew walk in and I feel like the Lord tells me something right then. He says, Michael, he's going to give his life to me today. I want you to tell him about the purposes I, I, I have for him. Now, it wasn't some audible booming voice from heaven. It was just this sort of inner knowing. He wants to give his life to me today. I want you to tell him about the purposes I have for him. So I get up that morning and I I call him out. I say, hey, Andrew, um, I feel like the Lord wants you to know about the purposes he's called you to. And I read that passage about the the works that God has for us out of Ephesians. And then I gave him a couple uh, of more encouraging things about some of the things God wants to use him to do. I said, I'd I'd like you to come talk to me afterwards. So he comes down to the front and we, we, uh, we exchanged a little bit. I said, uh, Andrew, um, would you like to give your life to Jesus today? He goes, yes, I would. And he prays to give his life to the Lord that morning. Now, all because of some little prompting I had from the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of you would like that to happen in your church? Now, why wouldn't you want this? And this is what happens when, when there's... Uh, people who are prophetic in your community and they're prophesying to unbelievers, they fall on their face declaring, surely God is among you. So prophecy can open the doors for evangelism. Uh, think about the woman at the well. Jesus meets her, uh, he's in Samaria, he's, he's at, or at a well just outside of the region, and this woman comes up to him and he talks to her, which first off is taboo for a man to talk to a woman. But then secondly, uh, when he talks to her, she, she starts trying to have this debate, right? This is what happens in religious circles. We, we have these debates, and he bypasses all of it. And instead, he employs a, a gift of prophecy, and he says, you know, you're right to say that you have no husband, for in fact, you have five husbands, and the one you're with right now is not your husband. And she says, I perceive you are a prophet. <laughs> well, lady, you got that right. And so then he, he kind of, I mean, this is the first time where the Lord has revealed himself to somebody outside of the Jewish faith. She goes back to Samaria and says, come and meet the man who told me all the things about my life. Do you think it's possible that he was just sort of sowing seeds that would bear fruit later on when uh, Philip and, uh, was it Philip and, 
who's the other deacon that went down there? Andrew, yeah. They go down there and share the gospel with the Samaritans. The whole town, I mean, all of Samaria comes to believe in Jesus. Wouldn't you like that to happen? Secrets of hearts are laid bare. Um, Another thing that prophecy does, and and the reason why I believe this gift is so important in the church, is Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. It says, He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, some as teachers, for the equipping of the saints. How are you going to equip your church if you don't have those five gifts? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, so that the body is built up in Christ until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Those five gifts aren't meant to build somebody's platform. They're meant to equip the saints for the work of ministry, which means who are the people that are supposed to be doing the works of the ministry? Is it those who have the microphone or the members in your community? All right, well, how are we equipping them? Are we making all of those gifts available to equip the saints to do the work? This is why we have prophecy. We have other gifts as well. And notice here, we're emphasizing prophecy today. That doesn't mean to the neglect of the others. That's just what this little workshop is on. So uh, who gets to do this? Who are the ones who gets to get to prophesy? Open up um, Genesis chapter 18. I'm not sure exactly which verses I've got here. <laughs> I wrote down verses 1 through 2 and then 16 through 33, but I don't think these are all those verses. So you can go back and read the rest of it. But this is a, a story of uh, Abraham. And Abraham has a visitation from the Lord and a few angels. And in this exchange, the Lord says to the angels, should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I've chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. That conversation is an interesting one to me. He's, the Lord is, is contemplating whether or not he should keep a secret from Abraham. Should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? A uh, little question for you. Who do you have the hardest time keeping your secrets from? Yeah, your best friends, right? When uh, you get a new job or a promotion, who do you want to tell right away? When something tragic happens, who do you want to tell? Who do you want to go to? When you've got a really juicy piece of gossip, who do you want to tell? When there's something that you know that you shouldn't tell, a secret that you have, who do you have the hardest time keeping that secret from? Many of you are like, my wife, of course, your wife is often your best friend. I'm going to say this, though. Your wife should never be your only friend. Many people, when they say, my wife is my best friend, they usually mean, well, that's, she's the only friend. Uh, we all need best friends. But this is the Lord doing this. 
And he's contemplating whether he should keep this secret. Do you know one of the titles given to Abraham? Like he's given one title, like a specific title. Nobody else gets this designation. He's called in, in uh, James chapter 2, 23, the friend of God. When Abraham is referred to by the saints in the New Testament, they call him the friend of God. Definite article, the friend of God. Matter of fact, all the prophets in the Old Testament, they're called friends of God, but Abraham was the only one called the friend of God. Now think about that for a second. He's the friend of God. God has a hard time keeping his secrets from his friends. Uh, you see, the same thing happened with the Lord. In uh, John 15, he says, No longer do I call you a slave, for a slave doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For everything I hear from my Father, I make known to you. Who did Jesus confide in? When the Father told him something, who did he share it with? His disciples, his closest friends. Do you want to hear from God? Cultivate a friendship. Most of us, we only have the capacity for, for so many friends. Maybe two or three best friends at most. The Lord is not confined by our limitations. In his heart is room for all kinds of friendships. And don't be surprised that when you cultivate a friendship with the Lord, that he'll share his secrets with you. The thing about a friend is you confide in those friends because you know you can trust them with your information. When you're going through something really difficult that, that is not comfortable to share with everybody, you can confide in your friends because you know that they'll keep that secret. Or if they do share it, they would do it only in your best interest. They would know when to share a secret, when not to. Same thing is true with the friends of God. We know when to share something is revealed. We know when not to. Um, Mark chapter 3, verse 13, uh, 13 through 15, it says, He went up on a mountain and he summoned those who he wanted. It's a great passage. It could just stop there and leave it at that. Why did the Lord call his disciples? It says, those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him, that he might be with them. That's the first thing about being a disciple of the Lord, is being a friend to the Lord. And then out of that place, he appointed them 12 so that they could be with him, that he could send them out to preach and have authority and cast out demons. Um, the Lord doesn't need friendships. Within the Trinity, he has all the fellowship he needs, and yet he still has more room in his heart to be friends with us. And I would tell you that cultivating a friendship with God is the first step to uh, developing any kind of prophetic gift. Uh, when we ask the question, who gets to prophesy? I say it's the friends of God. It's a gift that God gives. I'm not saying he gives it to everybody, but it probably is the most common gift. I would say a lot of people in our churches are more prophetic than we realize. Um, they probably hear from the Lord. Usually they couch it in language called discernment. Uh, discernment does not mean uh, knowing things about people. Uh, discernment in the scriptures anyways it has a specific meaning. It's used twice. It's used once in, well, it might be used more than twice, but predominantly these are the meanings of it. Discernment is used in 1 Corinthians 12 as a gift of the Spirit called discernment of spirits meaning it lets you know what, what is the spiritual force behind something. Often that'll happen when we're casting out demons. We'll know what's, it, what's there and why it's there. 
you know, this, this person is demonized because they've been watching horror films and they've given in to a, a spirit of fear. This person is demonized because they've been taking drugs and, and literally inviting uh, the influence of another spirit. Um, uh, the other time discernment is used is in Hebrews, where it says, I think it's Hebrews 5.14, I believe, I could be wrong. Uh, Solid food is for the mature man who through practice has trained his senses to discern good and evil. So again, spiritual forces, discernment of good and evil. Most people using the word discernment in an evangelical church, they're actually prophetic and they don't realize it. They're usually getting words of knowledge, the prophetic insight into somebody's life. Um, you can continue to call it discernment. In evangelical churches, that tends to make people feel more comfortable. Um, but I'm telling you, biblically, it's actually prophecy. And I'm using prophecy as sort of an umbrella term for hearing God for others. Um, there's a lot of different ways that we hear God for others. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, we see word of knowledge. Um, that probably means just a fact, a piece of information that there's no way you could know other than it being revealed by God. So you may know somebody's occupation, you may know their name, you may know um, something that happened to them in their past, something they did. Um, oftentimes this, this, this will happen with me where I'll know somebody's name, their occupation, I'll know a sickness they have. I just call that a word of knowledge, um, but it, it probably fits within that prophetic category. Um, most people have a misconception that prophecy means telling the future. Uh, that is actually not always the case. Predominantly in the Old Testament, you don't see them predicting the future. Usually they're telling people about the present. Um, so word of knowledge would kind of fit in that category for the prophetic people. Um, I would also say that the prophecy is, sometimes it is a foretelling. Sometimes it's, it's uh, the present priority that's on God's heart, um, letting people know what God is concerned with. Um, there's a number of ways that prophecy sort of comes to, to pass. Uh, word of wisdom is also mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 as a gift of the Spirit. Uh, word of wisdom is, is probably what somebody needs to do in a moment in time. So ever gotten to a crossroad where you're going, I'm not sure whether to go left or right? Well, what you're in need of is a word of wisdom. Uh, I remember uh, a, a young lady coming to me and a buddy of mine. I was still brand new to this stuff. And she says, I'm looking for direction. That's all she told us. And that's often what people would do at our church is they wouldn't tell us what's going on because they want to hear from the Lord. And if they tell you what's going on, then you have too much information to go on. So we tell people, don't, don't tell me everything you need prayer for. Just let me listen to God on your behalf. So the lady says, I'm looking for direction. Great, thank you. So we pray and say, God, what is she looking for direction for? My friend sees a, a picture of her in a new house. He says, I, I feel like the Lord showed me, that, uh, showed me a picture of you in a new house. I'm not really sure what that means. She goes, well, that's what I'm looking for direction for. I'm considering buying a house. So now she knew what to do, whether or not she should buy it. Another time I had a, a couple come to me, um, same thing, we're looking for direction. And so I'm praying, I'm saying, God, what are they looking for direction for? And just a thought comes into my head. Michael, they're thinking of changing the school their daughter goes to. I'm like, okay, this is either right or it's wrong, <laughs> right? So like, I'm either gonna look like a huge idiot uh, or God is gonna show up in a spectacular way. And so I'm like, all right, God, here goes. Uh, ready to put my reputation on the line. Um, are you thinking of changing the school your daughter goes to? And they said, yes. And they start to cry. I go, is this, is this why you came up for direction? And they said, yes. 
And I said, I don't know what you're supposed to do. God didn't give me the word of wisdom. In this case, God didn't tell me what to tell them. Um, but clearly God knows. That's the word of knowledge. Um, and so I think he knows, and so it's going to be okay. Well, here's why this was such a significant thing for them. They tell me afterwards that uh, their daughter was having a hard time. She had a learning disability, and she could not pass the state standardized test for a particular topic. Um, I think she had dyslexia or something, so it might have been grammar and English. Um, and so they were considering putting her in a special school to get her the extra help she needed. Now imagine this. They told her the night before. And when they told their daughter this, their daughter was so upset with them, so upset, thinking everybody's going to think I'm stupid. I'm going to lose all my friends. Uh, I have to go to this special school for all these people that are dumb just like me. You know, th this is what their daughter is dealing with. And these parents are just racked with sadness and, and guilt and not knowing, like, are we making a horrible decision? Are we going to ruin our daughter's social life? And we've got to get her the help she needs, but, but is this the right thing to do? And uh, what I find is oftentimes we think we need a word of direction. Really, we just need to know that God knows. And just knowing that he knows will give us the confidence that it will be okay. And that's what they needed. Um, let me... It's 10.03. Um, I kind of want to stop here. We'll talk about, I think we're going to run a little bit late. But I want to talk about how God speaks and the mechanics of that, but I want to take a little time for questions, if that's okay. It's already been 30 minutes, right? Okay. Um, let's do this. Uh, Sean, will you grab the other microphone? And uh, it's always hard when the first person to break the ice on uh, questions. So I'll do my best. I, I don't want to field comments. I know a lot of you are pastors in the room, so for your sake I'm saying that. Uh, we, we always like to ta talk, us pastors. So if you have a question, though, this is a great time to ask that. And, and I encourage you to be confident in this because the question you're probably asking is one that everybody else is asking too. So if you don't mind. Yeah. I'm going to have you hold the microphone. Yeah, Michael, you, you were talking about through prophecy when somebody gives a word that you were being honest with what you were hearing and not hearing. Um, as a community is developing prophecy and they're starting to stretch out into prophecy or you're growing a ministry team, what are some practical steps of shepherding new prophetic people or people that are new in the prophetic and helping them become integral with what they're hearing, not hearing, and kind of... Perfect. So a couple of things I encourage people to do, um, especially as they're beginning to grow in this, I, I put this little admonition on there. Never prophesy about people's marriages. Never prophesy uh, dates. Um, so, yeah, don't prophesy about babies. Um, and probably not financial issues. Uh, stay away from those, especially as we're beginning. Another thing I encourage people to do is don't say the words, thus saith the Lord, as though God speaks in King James English. Um, matter of fact, I would also encourage you, don't say God said. And, and there's reasons I'll give you to defend that uh, in the next meeting. Uh, for now, especially as we're beginning, uh, just say things like, I feel like God is showing me. Right? Why, why do you think I'm saying that? When you say God said, does it give the person on the receiving uh, side of it an opportunity to reject or accept? Do they feel free or do they feel obligated? Okay. Uh, 
we want to give the people the, the freedom to reject those words, and there's reasons for that that I'm going to give in the next teaching. Um, so don't say the words God said. Don't say thus saith the Lord. For now, uh, it's far better to, to package that word with, hey, I feel like God is showing me this. Um, another thing we want to do is when it comes to like a word of wisdom, a word of wisdom meaning a directive word, uh, a word of wisdom or a, a prophetic word should do one of two things. It should either confirm a leading you already have in your heart or cause you to pray about something you've never considered. Let me, let me give you an example of this. Uh, Sam, I'm going to use you as the guinea pig. Um, let's say I, I come to Sam and I say, hey, Sam, God said he wants to send you to the poorest place in Kenya. You need to go tomorrow. Thus saith the Lord. Now, uh, what if Sam, like, imagine being on that and Sam's like, dude, I've got, uh, I got a family. I can't just uproot my family like that. But hey, God said I got to do it, right? No, that's not how the prophetic works. It's either con confirmed. Let's say uh, if, it, if it's going to confirm a leading already in his heart, he's probably going to go, I, I, best way to phrase that would be like, hey, I feel like uh, God has put uh, Kenya on your heart and, then, and that you've been maybe even praying about going there to be a missionary. Uh, and the Lord just wanted to confirm that today. If he'd been praying about it, he'll go, wow. I mean, I literally was praying about whether or not I should do this. And when it comes to major life decisions, especially uprooting our families and moving, usually God will give several ways of confirming that that really is the way he's leading us. Um, uh, so confirm a leading or cause you to pray about it. Have you been considering going to Kenya? Actually, no, I've never thought about that. Ah, okay, well, just pray about it. Maybe, maybe the Lord has something there for you. And, and if it's the Lord, he'll probably confirm it in several more ways. But you, what, what, one thing you don't want to do is never make a decision based solely off of a prophetic word. You hear me on this? Uh, when I quit my job, I used to teach mathematics. When I quit my job uh, to go back into ministry, I knew, one, that I was going to go back into ministry. I always knew that. I just didn't know when. And so when the day came, when the Lord finally called me back into ministry, uh, I had somebody who didn't know me, a guy from South Africa, call a buddy of mine and said, hey, I was praying this morning. Uh, the Lord said there's a young man named Michael. Uh, God is calling him to make a major move in his life. He says, uh, I, uh, the Lord told me that you know this young man uh, and you've been mentoring him. And it was true. The guy was mentoring me at the time, and, and sure enough, I had been praying about timing to go back into ministry. That was one time. Then another guy came up to me and said, hey, uh, the Lord's calling you back into full-time ministry you're, you're concerned that the finances won't be there, um, but the Lord actually has a blessing for you, and you're going to have to make this move if you want the blessing that he has for you. You can keep teaching, but you'll have to do it in your own strength. At the time, I was teaching mathematics. He said, you can keep teaching, but you'll have to do it in your own strength. Now, now both of those words are given. I didn't know this, but the day that that, that first word was given to me, uh, I found this out after the fact. Two days later, I'm meeting with my pastor, and I'm talking to him about going back into ministry and about these words. And he said, hey, I need to let you know something. On Friday, when somebody gave you that word, that South African guy gave you that word, somebody walked into the church and they wrote a check for $20,000 and said that the Lord told them to write this check because God was calling you back into ministry. Now, listen, I'm not saying that you have to have those kind of prophetic words to, to confirm leadings that God has put in your heart. But I am saying that when it comes to those kind of directional, life-changing decisions, you never make a decision based solely off a prophetic word. 
God will confirm what he's leading you to do. And here's the thing. Some of us get so worried about being led in the wrong direction. Okay, listen, he is called the good shepherd. He is more capable of leading you in the right direction than the devil is of misleading you in the wrong direction. Who's greater, God or the devil? That's a big concern we have. We think, oh, well, Satan's going to deceive us and, and put us in the wrong direction. No, no, God is greater. He's a far better communicator. Um, so we don't need to be afraid that we're going to get uh, the wrong thing. Um, we should have confidence in the Lord to be the good shepherd. Now, again, though, I, I am giving you that preface. Never make a decision based solely off a prophetic word. And the prophetic should never contradict the Scripture. I mean this? So somebody says, hey, uh, I feel like God is telling me you should divorce your spouse. No, that, 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 there's nothing in Scripture that's going to say, yeah, you should divorce. Uh, if anything, the opposite is, is said. So uh, that's kind of the, the way we're leading this out. Um, who asked the question? Did that answer your question? Yeah. That was a long-winded answer, so forgive me for that. Uh, I want to go back to, you were talking about the examples of people seek, they're seeking a decision, they're wanting to make a decision, and you said, don't tell me what you're asking your decision for. Did, did you say that? Or that you, when somebody we, comes we up for prayer people. and say, we are, we, we're uh, seeking direction, that's what it was, we're seeking direction, Yeah. and did you say... Don't tell us what direction it is. I want to hear from God. Is that what you said? Yeah, I was saying, don't tell us. Let us pray and listen to God. That doesn't mean I won't let them tell me afterwards <laughs> and then pray for them again. So if, if we don't get anything from the Lord and, and they're saying, hey, we're seeking direction, uh, cool, I'm going to pray for you. Um, don't tell me anything else. Or if somebody's, even if they need healing, don't tell me what you need healing for. Let me just pray for you and see if the Lord shows me something. Uh, and then if, if what we hear from the Lord is actually not what they're needing help with, then I say, okay, what'd you come up for prayer for? And then I pray for that. So it's not I never do that. It's initially I want to hear from God without having inside information. Does that make sense? Context of an actual like prophetic ministry setting, or or do you do that in just like a prayer after service setting? Prayer after service, or in home groups, or or in little interactions with people. Yeah, I try, to, I try to have that as a rule of thumb that I want to hear from God first. Um, and I have that as a rule of thumb with most things in my life. Like, I don't go to the doctor first, I go to God first. And then if I don't get healed, I go to the doctor. Uh, so I'm all for that. And most of you ever heard you know, the workout term, like no pain, no gain? Yeah? I, I, I believe in no pain, no pain. <laughs> so if I'm sick, I'm like, go to God first because he's the source of all things and all life. And then if the doctor can help me out or the chiropractor can help me with my back, I'm like, all for it. And I don't mind taking Advil for a headache. So uh, I'm not one of those that be like, the Lord only. I'm like, no, no, the Lord uses doctors. Luke was a doctor. Paul told Timothy to take a little wine for his frequent stomach ailments. So all for that. Other questions? Yeah, right over here. Is this helpful? Okay, so the um, passage that you talked about in 1 Corinthians 14, 24 and 25, um, the end mentions that prophecy discloses the secrets of the heart. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you could expound on, on like... What that is? Yeah, what that means. Because, like, there's something that um, someone that I really trust, like, 
essentially prophesied over me, that I would, like, be able to interpret hearts, essentially. And so that, like, really resonated with me. So I, I'm... You're kind of wondering, yeah, yeah. If, if that's something God's calling you to do, what does that mean? Yeah, essentially, like, if, if that... I don't so know, just the secrets of hearts. Let's, yeah. let's just talk about that for a second. Um, I gave you the examples of the prayers that I had prayed in secret, and the prophetic person told me what that was. Uh, I've had other situations where, um, like I had one guy uh, in a room, I, when I looked at him, I had a, a vision in my head, and this is just in my imagination. It wasn't like reality physically changed. Um, uh, anyway, when I looked at him, I saw a picture of him. He had a, a brown polished desk, and there was a black mat on it, and I saw his hands up against it, and he was saying the words, um, God, will you take my business? I don't know what I'm doing. And then the Lord showed me, I'm also, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor that request. I'm going to take his business and do with it what he never could. Uh, and also, I, I want you to let him know that I'm giving him a prophetic gift. So I looked at him, and I said, hey, uh, I feel like the Lord showed me that you've been praying at a brown polished desk with a black mat, and you have your hands up against it, and you've been praying the words, God, will you take my business? There's been some sort of struggle with your business. It's not been working out. And God wants you to know he's heard your prayer and he's going to honor that request. And he's also giving you a, a prophetic gift. His name is Bobby. He went to my old church. And um, Bobby responds and says, uh, well, this morning I was praying at my desk. It's a brown polished desk with a black mat. I had my hands up against it and, uh, and I literally prayed, God, would you take my business? He's like, I've been struggling for the last year with my business and I just don't know what to do with it anymore. And he's like, so that, that's completely true. He's like, but that prophetic thing, I don't know about that. <laughs> and I was like, you know, Bobby, I think the first thing was true, and so maybe the Lord was confirming that first thing, so you might believe the second thing. Two years later, later Bobby is now leading the prophetic teams at that church. Uh, Ed, you might know him. Did you know Bobby? Uh, you knew him, Sean, at Wellspring Church. Okay. Anyway. Uh, so that would be a secret of his heart, right? Something nobody's known. He's di disclosed it to God alone. Um, and, and that's pretty normative. The secrets of hearts are things that only God knows about us. That's all that is. And so when we prophesy, we want to try to get things that are confirmable or deniable. If we give stuff that's vague, like, hey, God just wants you to know that he really loves you. Well, you can always say that whether it's prophetic or not, right? Truth in scripture is true no matter what. Um, but when it comes to prophecy, it's, you know, yes, we can clearly know that God loves people, uh, but telling somebody, hey, I see you in a new house, well, that's the thing that they were concerned about. That's the secret in their heart. Or maybe they're, they're going through a difficulty with a, a child. You know, they've got a wayward son, a prodigal, and God's saying, hey, you've been praying for your prodigal. I'm going to offer you some comfort and let you know that I care about that prodigal a great deal. So that's the secret in their heart. Uh, the secrets of your heart are laid bare. I saw this happen one time where a guy says, uh, he said, hey, you've been running from God um, and you were actually contemplating. He said, he said a bunch of things about this guy. He had him stand up. And he said, oh, and you were contemplating coming to church. You were having an argument with God about whether or not you'd come today. And the guy, there was so much power, the guy literally fell to the ground uh, because that's exactly what had happened. He was literally having an argument that morning about coming to church. And God made that the secret of his heart laid bare in front of all, and he was called to account. So that's, that's kind of how that works. Um, you know, one thing you don't see in the scriptures 
uh, is, uh, how, how many of you have ever been around a prophetic person before? Okay. First time, recall the first time you were around somebody prophetic. How many of you were terrified of being around that person? <laughs> okay, why? Why were we terrified of that? Because <laughs> they're weird. Well, I know for me, I was terrified to be around that person because I thought, this person knows everything going on with me. They've probably seen all of my sin, right? And they're going to publicly shame me and embarrass me and condemn me. Now, why do we have that perspective of, of prophecy? Does this say uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, 3, uh, prophecy speaks to men for their condemnation, public exposition, and, uh, and shame? No, it didn't say that. It says edification consolation, uh, encouragement. Now, does God see sin? Absolutely. Does He call out sin? Yes, absolutely. But usually not to publicly condemn. Rather, it's usually to set them free from their sin. You know, now when you look at the Old Testament, we're like, yeah, but God calls out sin all throughout the Old Testament. Yeah, He did. Do you know what kind of sin they were committing? Let's talk about that. Uh, you've got the Israelites, a people that were chosen to be a light for all nations, to show the world what it looked like when God was ruling a people. And they were worshiping other gods. They were literally committing idolatry. They were sacrificing their children on the altars of these foreign gods. Their children as burnt offerings. And not only that, the prophets were prophesying falsely for monetary gain. And the politicians were neglecting their jobs. They were supposed to execute justice. Instead, they were allowing wickedness to be pervaded uh, constantly. That's when God is exposing sin publicly. Is the average person in your church worshiping their children on the altars of Ashtaroth or Baal or Moloch? No. Most people that are coming to your church that are struggling with sin, they hate their sin. They're in church because they hate their sin. And if God is revealing they have a sin, it's because there's power to set them free from that sin. Addictions get broken off instantly. That's what it looks like for God to expose sin most of the time. Now, now, I'm not saying that there aren't people that are in willful sin. Someday, sometimes they are, and God will expose it, but usually it's private. I don't expose sin publicly. Uh, I usually pull that person aside and say, hey, God showed me this today. Is this true? Um, here's what God wants to do. Especially think about it. If you're in Christ, what does it say about those who are in Christ? There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We're supposed to confess our sins to one another that we might be healed. Um, so that's, that's the way the Lord treats that stuff. So, sorry, uh, we'll do one last question. We'll have time for more questions later. There's a lady in the back. Uh, we'll do one last question, and then we're going to do something different. Run, Sean, run. Yeah. My concern is, do you look at the credibility of the person that's going to prophesy over you? What if they're addicts? What if they're drug users? I mean, there's got to be some kind of discernment and, or everybody's going to be running everybody else saying, oh, this is what the Lord says and all Sure, that. sure. Yeah, How I... How do you discern that? Because I personally am not going to start listening to everybody. Yeah, I don't listen to everybody either. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so in a church, let me, let, me, let me sort of do this. When you, if people are prophesying out in the world, well, that's one thing. But if it's in my church, I don't just let anybody prophesy at my church publicly. Okay, I, especially on Sundays. Um, you'll see this in Pentecostal churches where you'll walk in and some random person from the audience will shout out in tongues. 
and then some other random person in the audience will shout out an interpretation, and it's usually in the King James English. And it's usually kind of condemning, and it's like, oh, the I say to thee people, but they will not listen to me. Um, that's not very encouraging. It's not very helpful. It doesn't build my faith. Uh, and, and the fact is, the, even the approach to that is really not a biblical approach. Uh, when would we show up to church and the pastor say, all right, who would like to give the teaching today? We don't do that, do we? And why don't we do that? Why don't we just let anybody teach? Well, because we have a standard for the gift of teaching, right? We don't want somebody to teach who doesn't have that gift, first off. And secondly, we don't want an immature expression of that gift, especially in our, our Sunday gathering. We want the mature expression of the gift. Now, instead of lowering the bar for teaching I'd re- to, to meet everybody when it comes to tongues and prophecy and all that, I want to raise the bar for the other gifts. So for my Sunday meeting, I want the mature expression of the gifts on Sundays. Now, in other environments like Saturday workshops like this or home groups, I usually have a lot more flexibility for people to practice gifts and grow in those gifts. Now, to be on the receiving end of it, I always have a filter. Now, I, I encourage people to prophesy. I encourage people even, you know, one-on-one. Um, but I also teach people you don't have to receive everything coming your way. A lot of people that are very well-meaning will give prophetic words that are oftentimes very wrong. Um, but I want them to grow in it. And in order to grow in something, you have to be able to do it wrong first. Now, hear me on this. I'm not saying I accept it as the word of the Lord. All right? I say, I'm saying I, I allow them to practice and to grow from it. If they get it wrong, I let them know they got it wrong. Hey, that's not the Lord. But I love that you're stepping out in faith. Um, in the same way, not everybody you pray for is going to get healed. Not everybody you evangelize to is going to get saved. We have to let people grow. I mean, how many of you, when you started evangelizing, you were really articulate and you were able to express the gospel uh, really well? Okay, why then would we have that expectation with these other gifts? Okay, we have to, we have to create an environment where it's okay for people to make mistakes but we don't pretend like the mistakes aren't happening. We hold people accountable for those mistakes. Um, but I'm not necessarily doing that on a Sunday service. I'm doing that in smaller settings where I can shepherd it and correct it right then and there. And I'll probably elaborate more on this on, uh, uh, later today when I talk about, the, I, wanna, I wanna address two questions. Uh, can a person get a prophetic word wrong? What do we do if they get it wrong? And the second question is, um, do we have to know it's God before we share something? Okay, both of those are very important biblical questions that will actually pertain to the question you're asking. So, and we'll, we'll cover that probably this afternoon at the 1.30 session. Uh, I, I don't think I'll have time to get to it earlier than that. So um, let me do one more thing. Come on up here, Sean. Um, I've asked Sean and a couple of friends to, to be praying for you guys so that we can actually demonstrate this um, and, and learn from it. Uh, Spencer and Keen, you want to come up here? So, Sean and I have known each other for, is it 11 years? No, it's longer than that. It's got to be, yeah. Well, I'm just thinking, when you were at Wellspring, that was back in, I don't know how long ago that was. It's been a while, yeah. Mm. So, Sean and I used to do stuff like this all the time at our church. Um, he was on the, what we call it the equipping team, where we would train in the gifts regularly on Wednesday nights. 
And so he's accustomed to practicing this stuff. So he's pretty experienced, been doing it for a lot of, a lot of years. Um, Spence, Spencer over here, he goes to my church, Reclamation in Denver, and so does Keaton. Uh, both of them have never done this before. Okay, so I brought them with me so that they can grow um, and, and experiment. So I want to give, so it's a lot to ask of them. They're, they're putting their reputation on the line. Uh, again, I'm going to pastor it. I'm not just going to let them say whatever they want. If they say something that's wrong, I'm going to correct it, so get ready. Um, but I, I want to give them the freedom to grow. So the thing I've been telling them is I want you to, to pray for the audience and ask God for words for them. If you get it, and when you get words, I want you to get things that are confirmable or deniable right then and there, right? If it's, if it's wrong, great. That'll teach all of us that we can grow from our mistakes, and you're not going to be reprimanded heavily for making a mistake. If you uh, give something vague, all that's going to do is cause more skepticism in the room. But if you get something right, well, that'll increase the faith. The whole, the whole body will be built up in faith. And realize a prophetic word for one person isn't just for that person. It's meant to build the faith of all. It's meant to help them see a tangible sign that God has shown himself and manifested his presence. And so that's kind of what we're going for today. Um, so I'm going to let each of them just sort of share what they've got. Uh, again, I'm going to remind you guys, every time you get a microphone, it's easy to get long-winded because we get nervous. So let's think about them, not ourselves up here. Um, and then secondly, uh, uh, we'll, I'm going to let them share the words, and then we're going to have a little time to weigh what is said. We see this in 1 Corinthians 14. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. Now in that, the others, we're not entirely sure who that is. We don't know if it's the elders of the church we don't know if it's the other prophetic people or, we, or if it's the people on the receiving end of those prophetic words. So what I like to do is, is go with the, uh, I like to help in that process, and I also like to get feedback from those who are prophesying to. So something else we always do is we always ask somebody's name when we're prophesying to them. And the reason why is we want to be held accountable for everything we say. That make sense? All right. Uh, who wants to go first? Hey guys, uh, my name is Keaton. Um, I'm not Googling you guys. I actually took a few notes while Spencer and I were over there praying, so I just wanted you to know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, something, I actually, we were praying for you guys before we came out here. We spent a few days in prayer just praying for the church, praying for the people that were coming from outside in. Um, and I do feel like God gave me um, something. And I feel like while we were here today, he maybe gave me some names. Um, so is there a David and Amy potentially together? Okay, cool. Um, is there somebody named Celeste or it might be Cassie? Okay. I'll let you know just on the front end, getting names is really hard to do. And sure. It's usually a yeah. lot of practice on that one, but you're doing great. Yeah. Um, maybe a Patrick. Okay, cool. Um, is there somebody that's having issues with insomnia in particular? Okay. Um, is there anybody that has a fear that you have at some point dabbled maybe with something occult 
and you have this fear that it's somehow lingering over you. Okay, cool. Well, so I'll give you a little help on this one. When you ask questions in a general sense, it's going to cause a lot of people, one, they're going to go, I don't know if I want to stand up and share that publicly. Sure. Uh, and then two, um, the, the thing is a lot of people in the room are going to go, well, that, you know, it's highly likely someone in the room has insomnia, right? Yeah. So typically what we want to do when we give words uh, is look at, somebody, get, look at somebody specific and say, God, what would you say to that person right here, right? So keep praying, and let's see if you get anything for anybody in the room specifically. Sound good? Sure. I love that you went for the names. That's confirmable and deniable right then and there. Great job. And so, hey, here's what this looks like. I don't, I don't just let people do whatever. I'm always correcting them, training them, helping them grow in their gift, and I'm not condemning them for what they did either. Like, it takes a lot to get up in front of people and, and share and to take risk like that because... Who's the one who looks foolish? Did, did God look foolish or did uh, Keaton over here? No, well, Keaton did. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, he did. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. God is his, he's perfectly capable of taking care of his own reputation. All right? We can leave his reputation in his hands, and, and we continue to put our reputation in his hands too. And so you'll often find that God is actually going to probably reward Keaton later today uh, with what he's, he's doing. He's stepping out. He's growing. He's also willing to receive public rebuke for it. So that takes a lot of courage, and God honors that. Go for it, Spencer. All righty. So I got this before I got here. Um, I don't see anybody who fits the description, so I'm just going to see if this might mean something to somebody. Um, I saw this little girl named Samantha, I thought, um, and she had a pink shirt with a big flower on the front um and i just i thought thought of the word wildflower does that mean anything to anybody resonate nothing okay is is she um is she ill of any, anything? I thought maybe she needs healing. Um, nothing? Okay. All right. Um, and then you, what was your name? Yeah. Jared and I assume your wife, Jared and Candace. Um, it's good to ask them if it's your wife, you know. <laughs> I felt. Um, Is this your mistress? <laughs> um, I felt like you were a leader in your church or. Um, yeah, leader in your church. Just, I, just, I assume. Just, just say the whole word, because otherwise go. it looks like you're fishing sure. for information. Okay. Just um, so I felt like you were a leader in your church. Obviously, I felt like you were pursuing the gifts, but you were facing resistance or have a lot of fear surrounding that. Yeah, so, and it, potentially getting fired, or I don't know, a lot of conflict. So that's what I felt. So, Why um, do you think the Lord showed you that? To pray for him, I don't. I didn't have anything other than that. Uh, we, need, we need to pray for him. Yeah, we'll pray for him. So the the fact that the Lord would reveal this is usually a couple reasons that you can guess, like right at the top. Uh, hey, the Lord knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. He's not unaware of what's taking place, and obviously He's allowing it to happen. So that means that you can rest assured that He's going to do something good and amazing out of it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, that's pretty specific, like the fact, hey, I feel like you're a leader in a church. I feel like you're dealing with conflicts because you're pursuing the gifts. 
Um, that's, are those things all true? Now, see, what you don't know, Spencer, is I literally talked to them about that very thing out in the foyer. Um, so, so just curious for you, is that encouraging that God would point that out to Spencer? There's no way he could know that. He didn't know who you were. We didn't have a conversation. I mean, you, you and I came in, and I basically had to get up on the microphone because I was staying out there way too long. So I never had a chance to talk to him about that. Yeah, here, should jump I, in. Should I wait? Or? No, yeah, let him go. All right, I got one more, but... Yeah, but if it's about him, I want him to go. So there, there's a reason why Paul says, hey, if one prophet's speaking and then another speaks, let the first one remain silent. And that's kind of... Paul's actually giving a, a practical instruction on how to do this stuff. So if you're getting something for him as well, I want you to keep going. Yeah, um, and it's I'm Sean. And Jared and... Okay. Um, so... Uh, I just, I just saw musical notes over you guys. Um, I don't know if music is a big deal for you guys, but okay. Um, specifically, though, I, I, I saw you, Jared, as the professor, but with high emotional intelligence. There was like a, I just saw the professor, um, and that you're a stable visionary, and your, um, your emotional intelligence is off the charts, is what it felt like, but you're really stable. You're not like the guy that... Put that microphone up to your mouth. You're not the guy that's... Uh, you know, emotional. You're emotional. It's it's really uh, under control, and it's beautiful because it's you're really approachable. Um, and I feel like you're amazed with Candace. You're like you're like wow, like she's not uh, almost like there's an invisibility there. Like other people wouldn't know it, but you know it. You know what you have. You have a Swiss Army knife. Uh, you're amazing, Candace. You're organized. Uh, there's something about you that, like, you can do just about anything, and nobody knows that, but Jared knows it. Um, and I just I heard the word soul of a gentle poet uh, over you, Jared, just the soul of a gentle poet. Uh, there's just something beautiful about you if you want to, if you're writing or if there's a writing thing that you want to do, but just there's a kindness and a pastoral calling. I, I didn't know are if you, you were in full-time ministry. I just thought these guys are either leaders in the church or they want to be in ministry. He but has all this written down, too, so if you yeah, want to... I wrote it all down, so... Just to confirm that he's not making this up after what he heard from Yeah, him. I'm not. I, this was all written during worship, so is, is, is that relevant or encouraging for you guys? Every box. Yeah. Wow. So... Uh, something I encourage them to do, just because it's really easy to get long-winded when you get on a microphone, is I tell them, write everything down and just say what's on there. Because otherwise you'll find yourself repeating things over and over again because you just get nervous about what people think. It's pretty normal. All right. Go for Last it. Last one. Um, second, second one here. What was your name? Evan. Um, I felt like you were, um, you have an aspiration to be a youth pastor or you are a youth pastor? You are a youth pastor? That's cool. I, and I don't, I didn't have much <laughs> other okay. than that. I felt like the Lord just told me that you were, you were a youth pastor. So, so again, the, why would God show this? Because he wants to confirm something yeah. that's already doing and yeah. let him know, like, hey, I've called you to this. Doing a good job. So just curious, have you been second guessing whether you're in the right field or whether or not you're doing the right job? Okay, well, good. 
John's like, oh, touche. <laughs> or, Is that true? Okay, let me just repeat that for everybody else. So in the last few weeks, he's been making a transition and asking the question whether or not he should devote more time to ministry rather than the other jobs he was doing. And so you've made that decision, and now you've got somebody coming in and saying, hey, I feel like God has called you to youth ministry. Um, So that's kind of a confirmation of something you've already been pursuing. Pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah. So the reason I said insomnia is because when we started praying for everyone here, that was something I started to experience. Um, I didn't think much about it until when Spencer and I were sitting over there praying, it came back to mind. I just, I thought of sleep, lack of sleep. But you said, you said you're sleeping too much? Is that what you said? What is it? Oh, sleepwalk. Oh, Okay. (laughs) <laughs> the sleepwalker. Okay. Hey, tell you what. <laughs> so I. Well, hey, we'll 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 pray for you though. That's probably. What whether whether the words right or wrong, we'll still pray for you. What? Hey. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to keep the time consolidated here. Let me, uh, let me address a couple things. Um, uh, first off, those, those words that, that you guys got uh, were risky, and you got some specific stuff. Uh, Spencer, will you tell me, how did you get the word about him being in ministry? Uh, so it's important that you guys know this, because the way that people hear God is not always what you think it is. Yeah. Most of us are expecting the clouds to part, the dove to descend, and... You know, God speak audibly, and that's usually not how it happens. Matter of fact, even in Scripture, that's usually not how it happens. Yeah. So. Um, I was sitting behind you, so I, I couldn't even see your face or anything like that. I just, to me, like, I talk to these guys about it often, like, because I'm so confused. I'm so in my mind the whole time. I'm very logical. So these guys sometimes see things, and I'm, I just have a deep sense in in my spirit like to me it was nothing mental nothing visual it just, just this, sort of a, a knowing just this inside. deep sense like that's what i felt like it was and it's some a lot of the time i feel like i'm making it up i'm like oh lord but this is that's how i practice that's what i was told like you need yeah. to, you need to just go for it and just practice so it was just like a deep sense something in, in I, I tell these guys is uh when it comes to prophecy if you feel something like an inner knowing or you have a thought come to your head and you think it's just you, it's, don't think it's just you. Step out in that because the fact is you're asking God to speak. Just because it doesn't feel, or just because it feels normal doesn't mean that God's not stepping into the process. Matter of fact, when most of us evangelize, let's just think about this for a second. Is there a greater miracle than someone coming into the faith? 
Okay, does it feel very supernatural when you tell somebody the gospel? And yet, something supernatural is happening, right? So that divide between what is God and what is me is very blurred um, because God is not suddenly rearranging reality to make you feel different. Uh, most of the time, he's stepping into what is a very normal, natural process. And, and you're, it's, it's this thing of trusting that the numinous is actually involved in what is natural. So, Could I? Yeah. This, uh, Evan, right? Was that your name? Um, for Evan, I, I thought he was somebody else who I know that's a youth pastor. Mm. So it was kind of like I'll talk about that later. Oftentimes yeah. I'll look at people and they'll remind me of someone I know, and that's usually how I get their names and occupations and things like that. So that may be one of the ways that God is speaking to you. Yeah. All right. Sean, did you have anything? Did you want to take a question? Or, uh, yeah, John. Or Ed. So you're just going to let him sit there with the insomnia? And, <laughs> I just talked about how foolish he looked. <laughs> help me, help me. Uh, is, it, is it two o'clock specifically often? Because literally last night, I mean, I just talked with these guys this morning, but last night I was awakened around like two, and I've literally been up since because I couldn't, I just could not get back to sleep. So I spent the night in prayer still around it, but I, that was, I mean, We'll pray for you too, I guess. Yeah. And And there's a verse for that. When one member of the body suffers, we all suffer. Like he actually, there was shared pain there, which is wild. Did you have anything else? Yeah, do we have time? Yeah, go, go ahead and give one more word. Give and one then. more, okay. Um, so, Sam, is it? Okay. And I heard him say that. That wasn't I'm prophetic, yeah. Yeah, uh, Sean. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's do it. Um, I, f- I feel like that uh, if I share a word with you, you'd be brutally honest with me. I, I, just, I just have that sense that you're a truth speaker and a truth seeker. You're both. Um, I also have a sense that you're a, a hunter and a boundary pusher. I just have this idea that you, uh, your strength is your mind, but you're still a renaissance man. Um, you could roast coffee, you could get your master's in archaeology, you could do pretty much anything, and people would stand by and go, how does he do that too? Like, that just seems easy. Um, and the unusual things you do are cool, but I feel like it's like a gifting that God has given you even to the point where if you were doing counseling, you would just be the brutally honest counselor, and people just need that. So I feel like you have a lot of gifts that God's given you, but the adventure and that, that boundary-pushing element is something the body needs. Um, is, is any of that true, relevant, or encouraging? Okay. It is? Okay. And that was okay. a lot, so I kind of threw a lot out there, but... So the, you see this happen with the Lord. He says, uh, behold, a man with no guile. Right? Do you remember that? So that kind of speaking to somebody's personality, their tendency, their behavioral tendency, and that's kind of what Sean got for you as well. Uh, makes sense. 